Uh, yeah. Woo. Phone ringing for the work. They waiting on me like the fifth and the first. I'm killing competition, put them bitches in the hearse. Been diagnosed with a sick flow, with a nurse. Yeah, do it for the city, but the hood getting turned. With the money going around like an offer in the church. Shit, this shit was a race, promise I'ma finish first. Taking shots from my spot, got me leaning like I'm Dirk in the playoff. Bitch, I want that Mark Cuban payoff. Fly as a G6, waiting for the takeoff. Welcome so back to another episode of the Bubble Let's Sports Podcast, everybody. I am your host, Bubba Lutz, as always. And this is episode 75 of the podcast, Winners and Losers of Week 6 in the NFL. Before we get into that, we have some new supporters on the podcast as of today. It now makes it five. Five people. Last week only had one to begin the week. Now we have five people supporting it two today one of them one of my close friends kevin rios my man oh he he, he wanted me to say it like really like sexual just because you just don't ask kevin rios oh shit okay um i appreciate the support man thank you for subscribing to the podcast and a quick shout out to him. He's starting his own thing with esports. If you're into gaming at all, if you're into competitive Call of Duty, competitive gaming whatsoever, go ahead and follow his Twitter that he just made for himself and his career path at KR underscore esports on Twitter. Give him a follow. Give him some retweets, some likes. This is a quick shout out to him. The least I can do for my guy. Thank you so much for supporting. Go support him. Next supporter, and I he, he's a close friend of mine as well from work, Joey Panel. Just kidding. He'd get pissed if I said it like that. Panel. Joey, thank you so much for being a part of this community. Guys, we're on a roll here. Five sub- supporters as of right now. Let's grow this community as far as we can. And we're just, we're on the incline. And I love to see it. And since we're in a positive mood, well, let's start off with some winners. And you know what we do with winners here at the Bubble Let Sports Podcast. What do they get, people? What do they get? Oh, a little bit of the bubbly. That's right. That is a little bit of the bubbly. Not going to lie, I ordered the shirt. So it's coming in probably next week. Guess what the new profile pic for, for this podcast is going to be? Damn right, people. And this is, you, you know, Kevin, Joey. All of you supporters, all of you listening right now, including myself, what do we all deserve right now? A little bit of the bubbly. So let's get it started with a little bit of the bubbly. Winners of week six. This just came hot off the presses. Like literally, like an hour ago, before doing this podcast, Jalen Ramsey is traded to the Los Angeles Rams for two first round draft picks and a fourth round draft pick in two years so those those two first round draft picks one of them will be in the next draft in 2020 the following draft as well for 2021 and then in that same draft in 2021 the fourth round pick so all in all the the los angeles rams don't have any first round picks for i believe at least three or four years which in reality you're trying to win right now. And at this point, 
the reason why I'm going to say that Jalen Ramsey is a winner, the Rams are a winner, and the Jaguars as well are a winner. Everyone wins in this situation. I, I think you can take so many positives from both sides and say it's for the best. It is a win all around, and I'll tell you why. For Jalen Ramsey, it's simple. This man wanted to get out of Jacksonville. He has spent so much of his time, all of his career since coming out of Florida State in college, and he's he's already gone through the years where the Jaguars are a Super Bowl contender. That was a small window that they had, you know, with Blake Bortles at quarterback, but their defense just carried them throughout the season. They matched up against the Steelers. They matched up against the Patriots and just fell a little short against the Patriots. I mean, just short. Or was it the Steelers? I don't know. Those are two very good games, though. I want to say it's the Steelers. They, they just fell short of making the Super Bowl. And really, if they did make that Super Bowl, they could have, I, I in my eyes, could have won that Super Bowl with that defense. It was Blake Bortles not giving them whatsoever a chance to make plays on offense. And as, if they just had someone as a game manager at that position, at quarterback, that team should have won a championship. Yet, here we are a couple years later, they really fell off. This was supposed to be the year of the bounce back for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now that they have Nick Foles, first game against the Chiefs, he breaks his collarbone. He fractured his collarbone, his clavicle, and he's out until like week 11. So then Gardner Minshew, my guy, comes in and takes over. He gets a few wins under his belt in the first couple weeks. They've been on a little hiatus as of late. The magic's not all there. I still think they are a very good football team that can win the division and maybe be the dark horse in the AFC. Maybe. I mean, if you get Nick Foles back, let's see how Gardner falls through these next couple weeks before Nick Foles is ready to go. I think right now you stick with Minshew just to see and see how it goes from there. All in all, though, Jalen Ramsey throughout this whole situation this year has been unhappy. Got into a couple arguments with the coaching staff, with, with the organization. The way he handled it is not, to me, the most professional way of doing it. You say that you have a back injury. I get it. If you're injured, that is reasonable. You you have your, your girlfriend that is about to give birth to your second child. Of course you want to be there because that's a special moment in your life. I, I do not blame him for that. Yet I truly believe... That the back injury, his excuses in a sense, I want to put that in air quotes. I, I don't want to say that these are definite excuses that are just lame excuses. I want to say that the way he went about it was unacceptable. And the fact that in these last couple of weeks, he could have played because he traveled with the team. He chose not to. I know the back's kind of nagging him still. I, I seriously believe, though, that he could have played in these last two weeks. It made a difference for this team. They've been on a losing streak as of late, so I really think Jalen Ramsey could have added something to this team. So just in his personality and his composure with this team, he was cut. Like, he was gone. He was ready to leave. So it's good for him to get a fresh start, especially in a place where, like he said, he wa he wants to be with a contender. He wants to win championships. That already passed in Jacksonville. Sorry, but not sorry. That, that time in Jacksonville passed. So now you go to an L.A. Rams team who's struggling right now, Made it to the Super Bowl last year. It can easily make it to another one this year. They're not the same team. They still have the same players 
pretty much. Other than, you know, the the obvious and Dominic and Sue. Todd Gurley's not the same player that he was last year before he got hurt. And Jared Goff is turning to 2016, like rookie season Jared Goff with Jeff Fisher. And it's not pretty. So this is all in all a win for Jalen Ramsey because it gets a fresh start. You kind of see this as a win for players around the NFL that want to choose their own destiny, much like what you see in the NBA nowadays, where, you know, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, like these guys finally want to go to a championship team and contend rather than be the number one guy in their hometown, in their home team. And really, all in all, you get big money, but you don't win big games. You, you fall short every single year. It's okay to feel that way. It's okay to feel like you want to go to a contender. The way you do it, though, the, much like how Antonio Brown did it with the Oakland Raiders or when he left the Steelers, and how Jalen Ramsey's did it right now with the Jaguars. I don't think it was the best way of doing it. Here we are, though. It's You know, you got to roll with the punches, as a wise man once said. So you go to L.A. after all this debacle in Jacksonville. The L.A. Rams are on a three-game losing streak. And when you look at their defense, they're struggling right now with a lot of injuries, including Clay Matthews, who broke his jaw a couple weeks ago. Aqib Tlaib is on IR. And prior to this trade, the, the Rams actually took a trade with Marcus Peters, send him to Baltimore for another set of draft picks that honestly could have set up this whole trade for Jalen Ramsey. I think that the time of Marcus Peters being in L.A. just didn't work out how L.A. wanted it to. He was injured for most of last year, and he was, wasn't really a contribution at all to this team. And Aqib Tlaib, he's injured as well as injury-prone since getting to L.A. So getting a, a prominent, still young guy, one of the best corners in the NFL, even though I criticize him that he's not as good as people think, this is still a huge boost to this defense who will eventually get back Clay Matthews, who will eventually get back Aqib Tlaib when he comes back from IR later in the year. But then you have Jalen Ramsey. Then you have Eric Weddle at the safety position. Great guy from Baltimore. You still have Aaron Donald at that front line. Then you'll get Clay Matthews back. See what happens with this offense. But this was the best thing that the Rams could have done. In the three-game losing streak, they're giving up 55 points to the Bucks, 30 points, 20 points. It's getting less and less every week. Now you have a prominent guy at that corner position. It, it will get better from here. And when all those guys come back and they all fit in in that defense, let's see how they go back to how they were last year, where they weren't giving up a lot of points. They were a menace on the front seven. And with a rusher like Aaron Donald, a rusher and a leader like Clay Matthews and a swagger guy that will shut down the number one guy on an opposing team in Jalen Ramsey. Hey, when you look at their schedule, man, they visit the Atlanta Falcons who are awful right now. They host the Bengals the next week who are awful as well. And then you get a bye week. So you get some rest. You finally get those guys back. Maybe Clay Matthews. And it'll take a couple more weeks for a keep to leave. That'll give you some time to really just focus in and, and and really go back to your roots of how Sean McVay made this team successful last year and the year prior and get them back to that Super Bowl mentality that they can and get a few wins before that bye week. So the reason why Jacksonville still wins in this trade as well is because they get those two first round draft picks. 
and they get that fourth rounder in 2021. And you're saying, well, didn't you say that they, they're a playoff team, that they can still do some things in that division? Yes, granted, they, they can do things in this division this year. Do you really expect them to make a Super Bowl, though? No, I, I really don't think so. Now, they have Nick Foles for another set of years. He'll come back from the injury at the end of this year. He'll be the starter next year. So you still have some young quarterbacks. You can honestly stick with Gardner Minshew for the starting position this year and maybe do that battle next year in the um, in training camp. And maybe, just maybe, Gardner Minshew wins that battle and you go for the young guy. Either way, though, you have a young quarterback that at least gets you five years, whether you go Foles or Minshew. You have Leonard Fournette, who, if he continues to stay healthy, will be a menace for the next four or five years. You still, without Jalen Ramsey, you still have a great defense. Calais Campbell up front. You still have A.J. Boye at the corner position. With these draft picks, you can beef up that defense. You can beef up the, uh, the offense. Maybe get some more protection up front for Gardner Minshew or Nick Foles over the next couple years. These, these, uh, these wide receivers, man, they're impressing me. Chark, he's been impressive. I mean, these guys are stepping up. It's always a thing in Jacksonville where you don't really assume these guys to be top-tier wide receivers or pro bowlers, but you know, think of all the, the players that have come out of Jacksonville that really showed what they can do in in Florida. Uh, Alan Hearns, Alan Robinson, they're finding success in other places. And now DJ Chark, I mean, he's doing good really so far. So either way you look at it on the spectrum. Every single person, every single part of this trade wins. It's a win-win situation. I really like to trade both sides for both of these teams and for Jalen Ramsey to finally get that fresh start. Next up is going to be the New England Patriots. Shocker, right? They're, they're 6-0. They're one of the only undefeated teams in the NFL. The reason I bring it up is what I talked about yesterday in the Cowboys review for the Jets game is where's the special teams, where's the balance between the offense and defense, the coaching is nowhere to be seen. Well, then you look at the Patriots, who the Cowboys really want to resemble. They really want to take everything that Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft have done with that organization and build it in Dallas. They do it in a really thrift shop type of way. They have the talent to do it. They are, they're honestly more talented than the New England Patriots. So you see why coaching is so much important and why the GM, the owner, are, are very hands-on at how successful this team is. When we look at the Patriots beating the New, uh, the New York Jets, or New York Giants, I should say, on Thursday night, 35-14, the Giants scored all of their points in the second quarter. They scored two touchdowns in the second quarter. They didn't score for the rest of the game or before that. That's... That's the, the New England Patriots defense, who has been the best defense in the NFL so far this year. Other storylines coming out of this game, and we'll keep mentioning the, the defense. Tom Brady moves ahead of Payne Manning uh, for, for second in NFL all-time passing yards list. And the, I'm actually going to get more into that and how it resembles Payne Manning in his later part of the year. When we look at the Patriots' defense, though, they forced four turnovers, including a fumble return for a touchdown in this game. They really made Daniel Jones struggle. It really exposed him. They also returned a blocked punt for a touchdown, so you see why special teams is very important to a team. They're 6-0 for the first time since 2015. Now, the reason I bring up Payne Manning, the reason I bring up 2015 
is the fact that remember 2015, Payne Manning, Denver Broncos. Remember what that team was. A very heavy defensive team that will carry them far into the playoffs. An offense that does have talent. It's not, it doesn't blow off the stat sheet. And a, and a quarterback that is past his prime a little bit. He's getting to the older side. And a lot of people are criticizing him. Now, I am not one of those people that will say that Tom Brady will ultimately cost this team another Super Bowl. I don't believe that Tom Brady is going to be the determining factor or the X factor at the Patriots finally hopping off the dynasty. I still think that Tom Brady deserves to be the starter of this team. He is still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, whether or not you look at it as touchdowns, stats, passing yards, whatever. The guy neck up, his IQ, his mind, his football mind gets him through these years. When you look at Payne Manning in 2015, he was not the best quarterback in the NFL. He was honestly one of the worst. However, it was Payne Manning. Payne Manning did just enough and did less is more type of mentality and type of play that it carried them to a Super Bowl. And rightfully so, he wasn't the MVP in that game. He wasn't a determining factor in that game. It was a defensive struggle. And ultimately, the Denver Broncos with Vaughn Miller led by him and Demarcus Ware got him that championship. So why... Don't you see that in the New England Patriots this year? They're more talented offensively than the 2015 Denver Broncos. Look, look at what they have. They, they, are, they, they are banged up offensively. They don't have Gronk this year. They, they didn't play with Philip Dorsett on Thursday. They didn't play with Rex Burkhead, who is not a pro bowler, but fits well into that offense. James White didn't do anything in this game. It was really Sony Michelle, Tom Brady, Julian Edelman taking care, taking care of business. It was the defense, though, that week after week, they're causing turnovers, which you'd love to see out of a great defense like that. They're creating pressure on the quarterback. They're disrupting his comfortability in the pocket and really forcing him to make tough throws. Defense is going to win you championships. In a, a Jared Mayo and Bill Belichick system post Matt Patricia, this is honestly the best defense that I've ever seen the Patriots play in my lifetime. And I guarantee you, Irving and Eddie will will agree with me on this, is that this is the best defense that we've ever seen the Patriots have. And still, this is not the healthiest team that we've seen. Kyle Van Noy, Dante Hightower, they've been dealing with injuries. The... the, the the receivers, they're dealing with a lot of injuries. I mean, Josh Gordon, he's been known to, to be injury prone. Luckily, he's been good so far. Philip Dorsett's been when her uh Nikhil Harry, he's been dealing with a lot of injuries. I believe he's on IR right now. And you don't have Gronk, so it's really up to your Julian Edelman. It's really up to your your uh other tight ends, your backup tight ends, and, and you gotta use that running game as efficiently as possible, which they are doing, even with injuries at that position. Look, the Patriots are the best team in the NFL right now. Whether you say that they're 6-0 and their combined record against, or, or the team's combined record that they're facing against is below 500, they didn't make the schedule. They didn't make whoever they wanted to face. This isn't college football, ladies and gentlemen. They just get handed 
the teams. And, you know, the one game that you got to really look at is that Buffalo Bills game right now. This is the one game that you say, well, they won that game. They won it ugly, but what divisional game is it? So don't tell me that this is a fluke 6-0 Patriots team. You don't, you don't just fluke five Super Bowls on lesser teams. You don't fluke um, a career start for this defense. I mean, the secondary with the McCourty brothers. This front seven with Dante Hightower and Kyle Van Noy. These guys are playing an elite level that they've never played before, that I've never seen before. And they should be praised for that. So what if you don't like the Patriots win every year? Deal with it. It's not It's not our, it, or I, I was going to say our fault. It's not their fault that they're so good at coaching. They're so good at, at scouting the positions and doing their job. Just because your team can't do it doesn't mean you should blame other teams for doing it. I, I am jealous of the Patriots. I love watching the Patriots play. It's much like what the Warriors do in the NBA. You love seeing them play because they're so fluid. They, they just have a dance. They have a rhythm. It's They do a tango. They do a little dance. They make a little love. The Patriots are getting down tonight at 6-0. So if there's a comparison, it's the 2015 Denver Broncos that was led by that defense and Peyton Manning did just enough to get him to a Super Bowl and win him a championship to ride off on the sunset. I see that happening this year for the Patriots. Moving on to other winners, Kyle Allen, starting quarterback as of right now for the Carolina Panthers. Since taking over for Cam Newton, who we hate on this podcast, the Panthers are 4-0, four straight wins. Allen has yet to throw an interception, and he has seven touchdowns. He is close to 1,000 yards passing already. Come on, man. Like, I'm not saying that Kyle Allen's going to take the, the, the NFL by storm and he's going to be the hot commodity over the offseason over the next couple of years. I'm saying that he knows his role. He knows what he has to get done in order for this team to win. They're running that offense through Christian McCaffrey. And in their last game, they they honestly, they, they got shut down. Christian McCaffrey had less than 60 yards total in this game. Yet, they win an ugly divisional game against the Bucs to keep them in the NFC South. They have a competent quarterback that is much better than what you get at Cam Newton. Do not care how athletic Cam Newton is and what fashion sense he has going this week. I'd rather have a game manager. I'd rather have a guy that does his job, doesn't score double the touchdowns or takes all the chances in the world. I will take a Kyle Allen that gets the job done as long as he knows his role and doesn't do too much. Run that system through Christian McCaffrey. Run it through your talented receivers. And, you know, sometimes you got to win ugly games against the Bucs. But you keep yourself in the division with the Saints. The Cam Newton era is over. Finally, if this guy comes back as a starter next year or even in the later part of this year, I'm giving up on the Carolina Panthers. I don't care what they do from that point on. They are going to lose football games. So yes, I'm on the Will Greer. I'm a Will Greer guy. But right now, Kyle Allen is doing enough for me. Now, next week, this is going to be a huge test. A, a good test for Kyle Allen against a dom dominating San Francisco 49ers defense. So 
I, I would honestly, if you if you have a game that is not like your typical like Cowboys game or or your or your Patriots game, like the top tier teams, if you're looking at a game to watch and you're very interested at seeing how that plays out, 49ers versus the Carolina, Carolina Panthers, I'd watch out for that one, and we'll we'll talk about that one next week. Moving on to the Houston Texans. Texans win a huge game last week, and they, they put up 55 points against the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, Deshaun Watson looks like rookie season Deshaun Watson. And in this game against the Kansas City Chiefs on the road, I'm going to mention that a lot when I talk about the Texans on the road. They were down 17-3 to the Chiefs on the road, yet they still found a way to come back. Now, it wasn't like they just found the lead and then they rode off into the sunset. They had a lot of lead changes in this game. So the resiliency and the composure of Deshaun Watson and his offense to say, hey guys, we're down again. We got to run down the field, take some time off the clock, keep Patrick Mahomes off the field, and we win ourselves a football game, a huge game that can really put ourselves in the conversation of, oh, this team's legit this year. We say that every year about the Texans saying, well, they have great wins, but they have tough losses, and they find their win to the wild card, and they fall short every single time. Well, with a win like this in the AFC against arguably the second best team in the AFC on the road, man, you you found a way to win tight. It was 31-24, to I believe, if if I stand corrected. I'm going to look that up just in case. 31 to 24. I know what I'm talking about. But this was a perfect example of how Bill O'Brien can use Deshaun Watson in the running game alongside Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson. These two are dynamic backs. And Carlos Hyde had himself a day. Uh, You saw the, or you heard the clip that he, he called out the Kansas City Chiefs on the road. On the road, people. These three guys, Watson, Duke Johnson, and Carlos Hyde combined for 192 rushing yards. It wasn't even that. The the play that really stood out to me was in the final two minutes. Deshaun Watson has it, and they're trying to run down the clock. If they get this first down, the game's over. They're up 31 to 24. They go for it on fourth and three in Chiefs territory, right around like the 30 to 40 yard line. And they brought the blitz. Kansas City brought the blitz. So it was very, very important for Deshaun Watson to make a decision quick. And fourth and three, he converted that that uh, that fourth down to DeAndre Hopkins. Get the first down. And you can just see all those guys celebrating because they knew how important this game was to not only themselves, but to the whole AFC and the conversation of them being in there. Great win for them on the road. I mean, honestly, the best performance, you can put up 55 against the Atlanta Falcons. Anyone can do that at this point. It's going on the road against a hostile team in a hostile environment. Patrick Mahomes off a loss, this defense off a loss, and your team is so talented. Deshaun Watson, those running backs that I mentioned, DeAndre Hopkins, Watson found seven different receivers in this game, including Hopkins, Will Fuller. He used these guys effectively throughout this game. You're starting to see that old, confident Deshaun Watson use his legs when he needs to, but he prefers the pass. It's a great combo and a great dual threat that Deshaun Watson brings to the table. It's been really fun to watch these last couple weeks. And really, if they continue to play with this type of swagger, I think there's a cap to them still because of Bill O'Brien. Let's see how far this talent can take them. If they can ride this, 
in, into the later part of the season. They could even get, with, with this win over the Chiefs, that could lead to more seeding and better seeding for them. Uh, they might find themselves a buy or at least home field advantage. You really want that home field advantage, really. I mean, if you're winning games on the road, you're going to feel even better at home. Great job by the Texans. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, the Chiefs are are still a winner in my book. Uh, well, you're saying, like, how is, that, how is that possible? Two straight losses at home. You don't like to see that. It was a close matchup against the Texans. And they have a short week. They're going to play on Thursday night against the Denver Broncos. Now, the reason why I say they are winners is this is the best thing that can happen to the Kansas City Chiefs. They've had the honeymoon stage this entire time. They, they've had the MVP. They've had the Madden 20 cover guy. There, there's no losing with Patrick Mahomes. This, can, this guy can do it all. This, this, this cat can ball, man. This cat can ball. Yet, we've never seen him in a situation where he's had to go past adversity, work through adversity. This is the first time that you see Patrick Mahomes, an MVP caliber player and an MVP from last year, finally put himself in a situation where he says, all right, we got to look at what we're doing wrong. Andy Reid, you've been through this before in Philadelphia, in Kansas City so far. You've had your ups and downs with these teams. Now you do it with a young quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. You've dealt with the injuries already this year. You got Tyreek Hill in this last game who... Performed very well. Had two touchdowns, over 100 yards passing, or receiving, I should say. So it's not like you're playing terrible football. I don't think the defense is the best defense in the world. They've been better this year. You got Tyron Matthew. That's a great addition. The front seven's pressuring the quarterback a lot more. It's great work by them. This this offense is obviously the identity of this football team, and it's Andy Reid's offense. So now that you're coming off two losses close games against the Colts and the Texans two two teams from the AFC South. So, you know, it's just tough competition down there. You see how competitive they are down there. Now you go against a, a good Broncos defense who's coming off some wins. They're feeling good and you're going on the road. Let's see how Patrick does with adversity. Let's see how he does finally put himself in an uncomfortable situation, which I think he thrives at in this situation on a short week, this is the worst case scenario for the Chiefs. So if they can win and be successful this week, I think it only shows how good this football team can be later on. And it shows that they are a good and, and, and phenomenal football team that is dangerous when it comes to getting guys healthy and when they put themselves in a situation where they finally get everyone going and they find the rhythm. I think this week they get back on track and they're going to do it very well. Going over to the NFC, Kirk Cousins. We criticized him two weeks ago. He was on honorable mentions last week. Kirk Cousins is back. This man is not barely missing his gender reveal, and he's throwing a football. It's a boy, but it, it, was, it wasn't even anything if he missed the, those boxes. This is a whole new Kirk Cousins, and I tell you why. When you look at the highlights, when you look back on the film, not only do the stands or the stats stand out, 22 of 29, less com uh, incompletions, right around the same amount that he had last week in the other win. But 333 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. I mean, that's a great performance out of, out of a quarterback. But what I saw in the film was just how comfortable he was in the pocket and how comfortable he was making those deep passes. He didn't hesitate. He didn't think about it. 
He took the chance and trusted his receivers. That's what he's been wanting all year long is trust. That's what Diggs and Thielen have been wanting all year long is trust and that relationship build. He's, he took advantage of that banged up Eagles secondary. And you can say that's that's uh, Mike Zimmer. You can say that's Kirk Cousins. It's a collective effort, and it was done very well. You still have Dalvin Cook in the, in the backfield who is doing great things. Him and the receivers just feel like a whole new unit, though. Thielen and Diggs combined for 224 yards, and four of those touch all four of those touchdowns by Kirk Cousins went to either Diggs or Thielen. Isn't that what we expected all this time? Isn't that what we expected out of Kirk Cousins was to just dominate the stat sheet with Thielen and Diggs? Even then, you're still not using Dalvin Cook. You're still not using uh, Kyle Rudolph. And this defense, while they limited this Eagles offense with an MVP caliber quarterback in Carson Wentz to only 20 points, they win handedly against the Eagles. They took advantage of a a secondary that is one of the worst in the NFL, really, that has dealt with a lot of injuries. Yet, I think they can do this every single week. I'm not saying four touchdowns. Yet, combined, though, like Thielen and Diggs, Dalvin Cook and Kyle Rudolph, if you don't expect at least 150 to 200 yards for them combined, then you're not going to win the football game. Yet, two weeks in a row, we have seen it back-to-back that he finds his receivers, he... He feels very comfortable in the pocket, and it works out for him. And they win another great football game at home, too. They're looking really good. So if you're a team that has to travel to Minnesota with this team that you got to go against, let alone the defense, who is stacked across the board, no matter what, what position you look at, this team's dangerous. And they're playing a really tough division. It was it was good that the Packers and the Lions played yesterday because that really ultimately like sealed up the top three teams in the NFC North. Sorry, Lions, but now it's Green Bay, Minnesota, and the Bears are just hanging on by a thread. And it's, it could be easy enough for Minnesota to take care of the Bears. And then for the matchups against the last matchup against the Packers this year because they lost earlier in the year, well, here we are. The Minnesota Vikings are back on track. The final winner of this week is going to be the San Francisco 49ers. And not just because they're 6-0, and they're the only other NS, uh, or the only other undefeated team other than the four, uh, Patriots, um, but they're the only undefeated team in the NFC. I'm saying that they're winners this week because of their defensive coordinator, Robert Saleh. If you haven't seen the clip, go go and watch it. This is the type of coach that I would love my team to have. This is what I see in like a Chris Richard type of coach. It's very emotional and not in a bad way. It's very expressive that if a, if a defense makes a big play, you're going you're gonna to compliment them. You're going to show them some affection. And if you're a player on that team, you see it all the time in college where the where the defense has like the turnover chain, the turnover shoulder pads. They have some type of jewelry or some type of way to express, yes, good job. You get to show off a little bit by putting something on. Same way that Robert Saleh is doing with the 49ers. He is saying, guys, get this play done. Make a stop. And I guarantee you, I'm going to pump you guys up like you've never seen before. And that's what happened in this game. 
They limited Jared Goff to 78 yards. Total. I'm not I'm not saying in the first quarter, I'm not saying in the first half. This team limited Jared Goff to 78 total yards on offense. Jared Goff, I'm telling you, is looking like rookie season Jared Goff. And it's it's hard to watch. That's why it was very important for them to do the Jalen Ramsey trade. Get some refreshment in their team. And with these easier matchups, it makes it easier on them. It was a tough matchup against a divisional undefeated team like the 49ers. I just didn't expect this defense to be like it was. Four sacks, one turnover. They actually lost a turnover battle. But it was the tenacity. It was the aggression, the uncomfortability of putting Jared Goff in a situation that is very unlike him. Or very unlike for this offensive of uh, line. The stat that stood out to me, though, was the Rams did not convert a single third and fourth down. They they had goose eggs on conversions. And I'm not talking like they only had like to do three or four conversions. It was like at least nine, if not more, on third down. And they had a few on fourth down as well. Tenacity. 49ers defense, man. Led by Saleh, led by Richard Sherman, Nick Bosa up front. This team is dangerous and they're legit. They are legit. I can say it right now. They are legit. Not as good as the 6-0 Patriots, but Jimmy G, he's doing just enough. He's not making mistakes. It's the defense that's carrying this team. Kyle Shanahan finally gets a team that he's been wanting for so many years. It's finally coming together. I said in the in last week's and the week before is that this team just has to come together at some point. And Kyle Shanahan has brought this team. It's just putting the puzzle pieces together. And I think they've done that. Honorable mentions, we move on to that. Only a handful. Or, or just a couple, I should say. Terry McLaurin. Four receptions, 100 yards. Receiving and two touchdowns. One of the best young receivers in the NFL. He plays for the worst team in the NFL at least in the NFC perspective. And, and to be honest, he, he's a part of the the Redskins win, which is called by Pat McAfee, the Suck Bowl. S-U-C-K, the Suck Bowl. Where it was the Redskins versus the Miami Dolphins. Someone had to win this game. And somehow the Redskins with a new coach, with nothing really going for them as an organization, they went back to Case Keenum, after all the debacle with Dwayne Haskins and Colt McCoy, they went back to their old reliable, really. And they barely win it against the Miami Dolphins. But the Suck Bowl, man, not as highly prospected as the Super Bowl. But, um, you know, hey, you get a little bit of the bubbly. Well, let's, let's give it to Terry McLaurin and the Redskins. Let's give it to them. And one other honorable mention. Teddy Bridgewater and the Saints. Teddy Bridgewater has done just enough to make this team stay contender till Drew Brees gets back. Oh, he, he's a little bit of the bubbly. The car warm. He's keeping it. He's keeping it nice and, and and relaxed. He's taking it for test drives here and there just to keep the engine warm. He's he's not like overpowering the engine. He's not going on a Ferris Bueller days off type of of drive with the Ferrari. He's taking it for a nice cruise just to get it warmed up. You know, I like to see that at Ted Bridgewater. A 13-6 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars. An ugly win, but we'll take it. 
He was 24 of 36 with 240 yards passing and one touchdown. This is now four straight wins for the, the Saints. Three of those wins coming against playoff teams, including the Cowboys, including the Jacksonville Jaguars in my eyes. And one of those wins was against a divisional opponent, against the Bucks. Hey, we'll take it. As long as you got through this stretch of games prior to Drew Brees coming back, who is coming back very soon, Teddy Bridgewater, you did your job. You, you've told people, like, I know I'm not the same player that I was before I blew up my knee, where I wasn't even supposed to play football during that injury. Yet I came back. I was rough at first, yet I've done my job. I, I've done what I needed to. This defense has really stepped up for me. That's just great coaching by Sean Payne to really motivate these guys since Drew Brees has been away. Look back three or four weeks ago where they went against the Rams, and it was a tough tough loss on the road they looked embarrassed and from that point on they looked like a playoff team even with the backup quarterback like Teddy Bridgewater and Teddy Bridgewater has done his job so good good things coming from from New Orleans and it's only going to get better from here when Drew Brees comes back then we move on to some losers and people losers losers what do we do with losers say it with me That's right. Oh, man. Oh, it hurts every single time. Stephen A. Smith, you get me every time. First losers, and a big one, the referees, the officials. I'm not just talking about the Monday night game for the Lions and the Packers where the Lions had two calls on them, both illegal hands to the face on Trey Flowers, who did not use illegal hands to the face. They were on the shoulder pad. They were nowhere near the neck or head. It was the exact same type of play, the exact same type of flag and call. The first one cost them seven points, and the other one cost them the game, late in the game. The Packers played well in that game. It, it is arguably a great win for the Packers, but it is an even better win for the referees. I mean, they, they really showed that they, they can influence a game. This, this is just one of the games this weekend that I felt that the referees determined this game. When I was watching the Cowboys game, I'm not talking about this game specifically that that was like the worst officiated game uh, this week. Yet, when I was watching that Cowboys game, it felt like every single play had a penalty. It was a pass interference here and there. A lot of them had to do with the Cowboys. Like, it was their fault. But those pass interference calls, those holding calls, those illegal hands to the face, illegal blocks in the back. Yes, there are stupid penalties that really, at the end of the day, like, you can review them every single time and say, that's not, that, that shouldn't be called, that shouldn't be a thing. At the end of the day, some referees are different, some of them are more strict. It's the same thing in soccer, it's the same thing in the NBA. What you don't want, and what we say time and time again, because it comes down to games like this, very important games for the Lions, like, if the Lions won this game, they're first place in the division. If they lose this game, which they did, they're last in the division. This could have been the biggest win for the Detroit Lions all year long and the one they needed the most. They played their asses off this year. I am I am genuinely impressed by how the Detroit Lions have played. I, I've said it. I said it in the predictions that I think they are the worst team in the NFC North. And not because they're a bad football team. It's because everyone else in the division is better. Yet... 
Matt Patricia, what he's done with this defense, what he's done with this offense, and, and with with um, the new offensive coordinator, for Matthew Stafford to go through all these things in his personal life with his his uh, child having some difficulties with birth and having to you know take care of his wife as well and having to learn a whole new system under a whole new offensive coordinator to to find a way to stay in these games with the tie and then with the loss last night but they should have won really on the road it's it's tough to watch because that was all officiating that really determined this game when we look at the Cowboys game it wasn't the fact that the officiating officiating won them the game for the Jets it was they were a part of that that determining decision Go back to the Rams and Saints game last year in the playoffs. We'll, we'll talk about it all the time. Is the pass interference call. How do you blatantly not see that call? And speaking of the pass interference that wasn't called, I hated the fact that they added the rule where you can challenge pass interference. Because guess what? In six weeks going into the season, 24 of the 25 challenges for the pass interference have not changed. There's been one change to a pass interference call when challenging that call. What has it done? We've got to realize, we got to look at soccer as a good example, as a VAR. Only use it when you definitely need to, not when someone chooses to. When VAR was introduced, it was really scary because people were thinking, oh, you're going to challenge everything. Yet now I feel that VAR is yes a part of the game it's used in the best way possible though is that if there's a penalty called or it's a no call and then if it's a goal to see if it was offsides or if it did go past the line we do it when officiating outside of that game decides that when guys in a different part of the state different part of the country whatever it is Go back and watch it and say, hey, we got to review it. Go and check it really quick. At the end of the day, it's your decision. We'll give you the influence and, and give you the information. But at the end of the day, base it on the right call that should be based on this replay. In the NFL right now, you are saying, well, we called that pass interference. It didn't look like it, though, so I'm going to challenge it. It does not matter what time of the game you do it. It doesn't matter if you see a replay or 10 of them. You can give that a challenge. And you're only down to two challenges. So yes, you're limited in that sense. Yet, at the end of the day, it's part of the game. And yes, there's going to be bad officiating. All in all, yes, the referees are being terrible right now. I don't think it's gotten to the point where they blatantly miss a call like they did last year in the playoff game. Because right now, it's the regular season. Those games don't mean as much. Now, for the Detroit Lions, you're going to say otherwise. Right now, though. We got to take it and say that the pass interference call has not made a difference in a positive way. So why do we have it in the first place? And when we look at challenges, when we look at like the illegal hands to the face, if you're going to allow them to challenge pass interference, what gives them not the right to challenge that illegal hands to the face? Because that was more of a factor than any pass interference call that I've ever seen this season. So use it the right way. Don't just say, oh, well, we, we messed up on a pass interference call last year, so we're going to allow them to challenge pass interference, but everything else, it stays the same. That's, that makes no sense to me. So refs, you're definitely the losers. 
Next up on losers is going to be the rock bottom teams. These are the teams that after this week, I think need a whole new outlook on their organization in some type of way. First up is the Falcons. They lose again. They're now one in five. They lose 34 to 33, 33 to the Cardinals. And you're saying, well, that's, they scored 33 points. Yes. Matt Ryan had himself a day. He honestly played the best football that I've seen him play since his MVP year. That's not enough though. Why? Because your defense is nowhere to be seen. They've gone missing. So Connor, help me out here. Instead of just the guy, like say that, but for the whole defense, like who the, who the fuck is, who the fuck is on defense? Dan Quinn, I think is overstayed as welcome. And if Matt Ryan's giving you that type of production and you can't get it done against a below average Arizona Cardinals team, what makes you think you're going to compete against the highest teams in the NFC? I'm sorry, but it's time for change. The Titans shut out by the Broncos 16 to nothing. I'm not saying that Marcus Mariota getting Who the fuck is that guy? And this, this offense not being able to score a point because the Denver Broncos defense, it's hit or miss when they are hitting. They're a damn good football team. And Joe Flacco sometimes, hey, he scores enough points to win. That does not mean that you should be shut out by them. I mean, you have talented guys on that offense. Adam Humphreys at right receiver, Delaney Walker. You have Derrick Henry. Why? Why are you losing this many games when you were only projected to go up? Mike Vrabel is, is finally comfortable in his spot as head coach. Marcus Mariota, I think you're a talented quarterback. You bring a lot to the table. Yet, this team cannot protect their quarterback. They cannot run the ball efficiently. And their defense, you know, sometimes they give up only 16 points, which in my eyes is enough for a defense, especially for the Titans. Just score points at that point. This team just doesn't have an identity right now. They're, they're benching their starting quarterback. That is not a good look for a guy that's been in league for, what, five, six years now? At least. And and Mike Vrabel is a good coach who I think has brought a lot of good things to this organization. So who's to blame? It's, there's no identity. that you got to find something in this team and just roll with it. You haven't found it. Another team I've talked about in the last podcast, the Cowboys. You lose to the winless Jets. Fire Jason Garrett. That's all I got to say. Fire Jason Garrett. It is time to move on. Colin Cowherd said today, that it's there's no time for panic. I think every time that I say panic now, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that soundbite. He said though that there there's no sense to panic. There there's no like hot seat for Jason Garrett. This team's fine as long as they win against the Eagles and win the division. They're fine. I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with just being fine with the divisional championship. I'm not okay with just making it to the playoffs. That's how Jason Garrett keeps his job. That's how he keeps his job. Is he, does, he does just enough to get by, to earn himself a contract. Ten years of this. Ten years of eight and eight seasons. Uh, a 13 and three season here and there. A 14 and two season every once in a while. That gets him just enough to earn his own And every single year after that, 
You're only one or two games away from being 8-8. Eight and eight, Just above 500. And, and you're doing just enough to, to win, to win your division, to win a playoff game. This team is too damn talented to just be fine. No, the, going to the season, what did everyone say? It is Super Bowl or bust for this Cowboys team. They have too much damn talent. They have had enough time to develop. This defense is better than ever. This offense, if they can get it clicking with Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott is playing the best football of his career, and I will say it again, he deserves more money than he did in week one. Damn right he does. So what's the consistent that is stopping them from being a 6-0 team that is now making them a 3-3 average team? Well, it's the average uh, average coach and the average defensive coordinator that has been there all these years even though you switched up Chris Richard, you, you switched up Kellen Moore, you finally get your pieces on offense, yet you go back to the old bland Scotland hand type of influence. Well, I wonder what's causing that. How about the coaches that have been there for over 10 years and they ran that offense too? Or that defense that can't cause turnovers? Hmm. That's all I got to say. Fire head coach. Fire Jason Garrett. Lastly, Chargers. I'm a big uh, critical guy on the Chargers. To not score any points in three quarters against the Steelers, that's unacceptable. What was the argument going into the season? Is that, ah, oh, they don't have Melvin Gordon. Let's see how they do with Austin Eckler and with Phillip Rivers. They still got guys like Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry. Let's see what they can do. I think they still be a competitor in the AFC West and the AFC in general. And they couldn't win football games there. So you say, ah, oh, well, uh, they'll get back Melvin Gordon and they'll be fine. The hold that will help them. Because that only helps Melvin Gordon get that contract. Well, we're like, what, a month in to Melvin Gordon being back? They're losing only more football games than without him. So, what's the issue? Yes, they've had injuries, but what team hasn't? Patriots have injuries. Chiefs have injuries. They're still doing good. Every good team goes through injuries like any other team. It's the adjustments you make and the scheme, the the game plans that you put together based on those injuries that help you win. Chargers aren't doing that. Cowboys aren't doing that. Falcons aren't doing that. So rock bottom, hey, good thing is, the only way to go from rock bottom, damn right, is up. So we'll end it on up. How about that? How about that segue? Thank you for listening to the Bubble Lutz Sports Podcast, episode 75, where we broke down winners and losers of week six in the NFL. We'll come back later on in the week, maybe some big news like we did uh, earlier today with Jalen Ramsey. Maybe that'll come up later in the year, or in, in the in the week, I should say. Um, hopefully, we can do a special episode like I did last week with Eddie Guerrero's birthday, uh, but we'll definitely come back and talk about the preview for the Cowboys and the Eagles game. Oh, God. Oh. Just hear me crying. That's going to be the whole episode. But thank you. Uh, once again, subscribe and support the podcast, whether it's a dollar, $5, or $10 a month. Be one of our five supporters. Like I mentioned, Kevin or, or Joey. Be that sixth where I'm going to shout you out on the podcast in the next episode and get yourself some quality content. So thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. It was really fun. So we'll come back later in the week, and we'll see you then. This has been your boy, Bubble Lutz.